We know that the sexual left uh, has successfully seized control over many government schools. This, though, is not about a government school. This little piece here is from a state government agency. People in this country who are LGBT plus, we're not free. And this is from what is called a queer Christian church. That is the kind of hope I want to invite us to embody. That is the kind of queerness that I hope we can practice. One that reimagines language and practice and narratives that can be midwifed and stewarded through the imaginal. That is hope to me. That is the kind of power I think we have as a collective of believers, of doubters, of Christians, as those who are becoming. The method is brilliant. The application has been really, really well done. And there's a lot of people, young people, who are going to walk into churches that actually aren't churches. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. This is uh, something we get to do because we've got great partners who support the program. Soda Weight Loss is one of those partners, and thank you for hooking up with them. It has been a joy to know that so many listeners have had good experiences with Soda Weight Loss at SodaWeightLoss.com, including my wife, by the way. We're going to week seven, I believe, next week. Yeah, the clips I played at the beginning there, the little tease that we do, give people heads up what's coming into the content. It's, it is a remarkably difficult conversation anytime we discuss this because it involves people we love. I don't know anybody who doesn't have friends uh, or family members who are same-sex attracted uh, and increasingly because of the pressure that the party is placing upon kids, the con job, uh, most of us know people who are convinced and have been conned into believing they are a different sex than they actually are. And that simply is going to be more prevalent and get worse because the party is 100% committed um, to that. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. One of the biggest ones is they are committed to normalizing the process of trans of transhumanizing people. And that's a big vision they have that. The, so the, the trans agenda is not just about power and, and division and money. Um, it's also about changing humanity. And so is the goal, which is becoming more and more successful of altering Christian churches. And sometimes this happens by degree that, that churches will take the pressure of the world and they'll begin to etch away at uh, or erase little pieces of, of the word of God. 
I don't know that there are little pieces of the word of God. I mean, there are issues that are redemption issues, meaning this is key uh, to everlasting life with Christ Jesus. But there are issues that are doctrinal and, and dogmatic. But I don't believe there's any little words of God. But what the sexual left is doing in the government schools, what they're doing in government is being extended into the churches. Um, And sometimes it's mainstream churches that get sucked up into this. That one of the things they'll do is they'll, they'll employ the propaganda of silence upon themselves. And so they won't speak of what does the Bible say about same sex unions or, or same-sex activity. The, the Bible says it's sin. And that's horribly difficult to say. Because, again, the, the fact of the matter is, you, we all know people um, who are same-sex attracted and have been taught that that is their identity. That that defines them. And without that, they are nothing. And one of the aspects of this that has allowed the sexual left to seize this position is the differentiating, differentiating between sins. There's not a person who listens to this, including the person speaking the words, who has not sinned and will not sin again. But somehow, churches have kind of magnified sometimes same-sex activity as the sin, and they have de-emphasized um, adultery as a sin or, or, or coveting or uh, uh, lying. But the sneaking into the churches of this propaganda of silence, this, this censoring, becomes then the next stage is, well, We don't really need to speak of this because the world has changed so very, very much. And from not speaking of it, well, maybe then really in modern times, this is okay. That's not happening right now with adultery. There's not a lot of churches saying we've determined that adultery is okay. But somehow with uh, with same sex activity, they will say, Maybe it's okay. And what you are risking there is now a complete erasing of the word of God. And this happens in churches around the country. And there's all sorts of ways to stray from the word. But what the sexual left is doing, it's not a straying from the word. It is building churches that meet their desires and and calling them Christian churches. Now, look, nothing happens in the country without some top-down, bottom-up movement. None of this is bubbling up. There was, of course, the name that you're not supposed to say on Fox News, um, George Soros. George Soros got this great idea of funding uh, churches, pastors in churches, so, and even calling them Catholic churches. And Searles got this idea. It's a, it's a brilliant idea. Why don't we set up our own theology schools? Why don't we set up our own pathway for people to become pastors? And, um, and in so doing, why don't we then go to the churches and say, hey, you know what? For the first year, 
we will pay 100% of this pastor's salary. And for the second year, we'll pay 75% of this pastor's salary. And for the third year, we will pay 50% of this pastor's salary. And churches who obviously one of the big cost centers is employees, if not buildings, they took the deal. We experienced a pastor like this. Now, I don't know that he was specifically funded by Soros organization, but I know he was funded by a radically, radically progressive organization. And we sat with utter astonishment as the sermons at our church began to be about South Park. South Park is a show that almost ritually mocks Christ Jesus. And we sat in the pews stunned. This guy, and th- I mean, I'm, I'm saying like three out of four sermons featured South Park. Bizarre, yeah. Inappropriate. And we, we ended up having to leave the church be- because of this guy. And we'd fought against having him come in and we did everything we could to have him not called there. And, and we lost that battle. And I think that church is still kind of scraping along. That guy was tossed pretty, or no, he quit. Because there were people, I think, who got um, tired of seeing him paint his toenails and fingernails on his Instagram and Facebook with the kids, you know, because that's what pastors do. But that was one church. And that was the infiltration of one church. What is happening with these churches that consider themselves to be queer Christian churches is is something altogether different. There is an organization called the Q Christian Fellowship. It's a blue check on Twitter and, and they're pretty well organized. They've got great, not great, but really well produced content Cultivating Radical Belonging for LGBTQ plus Christians and Allies. Okay, so right there, you know this is not a Christian church. Right there. Because Christ does not call us into special interest groups. You know, for instance, we don't have a, a Christian church for miners and loggers. There are Christian churches in mining and logging communities. But they don't say, well, we're just for miners and loggers. Or we're just for straight people. See, right there, that's the tool of the devil. But that's what they say they're doing. And, of course, the devil was the first politician, the first one to use a wedge issue. There is a uh, woman who speaks, I'm not going to say for this collective, but with this collective. And I want you to hear the approach that she takes in, in attracting people to this church. We'll get to that in a second. But it's not just in the, 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 the so-called queer Christian churches they're setting up, but it is also, of course, in the seat of government um, with the abortion stuff and, and, and SCOTUS. Here's Reverend Raphael Warnick, a so-called reverend, I say, because he's not a reverend. 
I mean, yes, 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 he has the title, but listen to his statement here on Twitter. As a pro-choice pastor, I've always believed that a patient's room is way too small for a woman, her doctor, and the United States government. I'll always fight to protect a woman's right to choose, and that will never change. And of course, it's, as we've talked about all week, it's simple lying. All of it is so easily disconstructed. As a pro-choice pastor, except for injections, I'm not pro-choice there. I've always believed the patient's room is way too small for a woman, her doctor, and the United States government. Okay, what's a woman, Rafi? Your party is now suddenly reinventing or rediscovering that women exist. So right there, there's a lie, her doctor, and the United States government. Well, that's funny because you are a proponent of the government taking over medicine and healthcare entirely. So you're lying about that. There's already 17 administrators for every one single doctor in the American hospitals because of the government. So you're lying about that. I'll always fight to protect a woman's right to choose. Not, not if it's not, if it's uh, injections in her body, you're going to force that on people and on women. And not if it's that her kids not be taught perverse pornographic sex ed, you're going to force that on her. You don't have any interest in the right to choose, Raphael, and you're not a, and you're not a reverend. But as a pro-choice pastor, uh, it's very difficult to make the case that you can have be a pastor in good standing and also uh, bespoil and decry and hate the the Ten Commandments. One of them being, "Thou shalt not murder." It's a very difficult thing to say. I am a pastor, but this part of the Ten Commandments I hate because it's inconvenient and it isn't able, it doesn't aid me in seeking power. And again, I understand how difficult these, these, this, these discussions are because it involves people who have, um, who have same-sex attraction. And the reason that I separate that and the reason that I try very hard to not use the language people who are gay is because I want to untwine that Unwind identity from activity. There are people who have erred, like my father erred in a big way um, that resulted in a great blessing and that we have a half-brother in our family who is a wonderful, wonderful man. But my father erred. He cheated on my mom. In a, not once. I mean, with one woman, he only did it once, but it became in relationship. And then it was, he left my mom and it was very, very messy and very ugly and very, very painful for everybody. But my dad didn't walk about saying, hi, I'm, I'm an adulterer. That didn't become his identity. And the difference with what the sexual left has done is they have structured desire as identity and they've structured, um, they've structured disorder as identity. I am trans. Well, okay, so your identity is confusion. I, I am, first of all, a, you know, I am a, I'm a BIPOC. Okay, so your identity is a skin color. And it is a seizing of the greater identity of the whole and it's fragile and it's brittle. And they're being taught that if people do not agree with your behavior, they hate you. Well, certainly I didn't hate my father. I miss him every day of my life. You know, I'm in my mid fifties. My dad has been dead for 22 years or 20, 20 years. And I still wake up 
some mornings, ah, I call my dad. You probably have the same thing if you've, if you've lost a parent. So we get strapped in our concern for the feelings of our loved ones, and we should. Our loved ones who are same-sex attracted. But we cannot join desire and, and desire and identity. That, that, that's, that's the trap. That it is inescapable that you agree with everything I do. Otherwise, you want me to disappear. There's a couple of great resources in the show notes on this. There's two books by a gentleman named Christopher Yuan. Um, he was and may still be same-sex attracted. And he lived an insane lifestyle that, that most same-sex attracted people never live. Um, but he was uh, beyond sexually active. He was a big-time drug dealer, which happened from hanging out in the clubs. And ultimately, um, he was busted by the FBI and spent time in prison. And his mom and dad, who had been atheists, they converted and then they became discipled and they went about trying to disciple him of across a period of uh, 10 years, a decade, while he lived that way in these various behaviors, connected with this identity he'd been given. And it's Christopher Yuan in his book, Holy Sexuality, that, that really, for me, divorced activity from identity and really explained to me that these, this is one of the big traps they set up. And so, hence, these churches are identity-based churches. I got to meet Christopher Yuan. He did a series of speeches at our church in Idaho and got to speak with him afterwards. Very dear man. Very, very compassionate and dear man. And he may well struggle with same-sex attraction to this day, but his view is the view that the church should hold. Just as we tell people, look, it is a human, a natural human desire to be attracted to other human beings. It just is. And sometimes it can be very long periods of time where you are, where you are single, or maybe God has called you to be single. Uh, I won't speak of the details of this because it affects other people. Um, but one day, probably I will tell you this story. The, the details, but I went through a period of time for about five years where I wouldn't date. I was well, clearly celibate. This is before I, I really knew the Lord. I was, I believed in God, but it was, I was nowhere near maturity. And during that period of time, I struck up friendships with married women and they became important friendships to me because I ached for female company, but I would not date. Because I had been so hurt. I mean, I mean, openness. Yeah, Jer Jerry Springer type hurt. Um, and those friendships became so important to me. And, and I think important to the women with whom I was friends. And they were married. And so nothing physical ever happened. But they were some of my best friends at the time. Well, they were the best friends I saw on a regular basis at the time. And I, I'm relatively certain that had I decided, well, this is okay. This is what I want. This would feel good. I think I could have had an affair with one or more of these women. And I, I, I thank God that I didn't walk that path. 
because you're just purchasing more trouble on a secular basis and on a faith basis, you are rebelling against God. You are breaking up or, or getting in between a relationship that God Almighty has decreed between these married people. My point of this is five years of denying that and with plenty of opportunity to not deny that. The, the fleshly part. Well, all of it was fleshly. My, my need to have these um, intimate relationships with women that were non-physical. And it was finally my mom who said, you understand these are emotional affairs, right? I said, what? She goes, you're, you are having emotional affairs. This is how you're dealing. This is your, this is your survival method. You know, you're afraid to date. You're afraid to get hurt. We all understand why. But these are not healthy relationships. Well, Mom, they're friendships. No, they're not. All right, this is way too deep. You are talking about way too deep things with these women. This is, you are way too emotionally dependent on one another. This is, that is a realm for a husband, not a friend. And that's from my very liberal mother. But if we were to make that sort of attraction the same as society has successfully made same-sex attraction, I would just tell my mom, hey, this is who I am. Don't judge me. This is who I am. I'm an adulterer. I, I speak it proudly. I own the language. I am an adulterer, mom. Either like it or I don't want to be your son. You either accept the fact that I go around sleeping with married women or I disown you as a mother. I mean, that's, the, that's my identity. That's who I am. This is who God made me. God made me this way. Well, he did. He did. That's who he made me. That's how he made me. Let's talk about that. And then let's get to the words of this so-called pastor. I was uh, chatting again with our sales team uh, about this relationship that we have now with our new partner, American Financing. And I, I, I get so happy when I can communicate to people with, with utter honesty that we're talking about no-brainer opportunities. And I was, I was just laughing about this, that, that the way the Lord works, particularly with this podcast, I, I, I'm just befuddled at his kindness to us. So American Financing at AmericanFinancing.net was with uh, our, our friend Rush Limbaugh for, gosh, I think a decade or more. God rest Rush. And he spoke so glowingly about them that when we got the opportunity to work with them and I met the team, it was, it was like old home week. And in fact, in our first meeting, we talked about uh, Rush and their relationship with him and what that was like. And when I go to understand the company and how the company works and what the company does and why they do what they do, I got even more giddy. So for instance, this, the fact that they don't have the view of people that the big, you know, faceless mortgage banks do comes from the fact that the two principal owners, well, the two owners are a married couple. They go home together. They look each other face to face and they talk about their clients and they talk about their team and their team has been with them for decades. And then 
the way they've structured the company that there's just no reason for anyone in their company to ever, ever, ever get you into a loan product that is not right for you because there's no commissions. They, they earn the same amount of money regardless of whether you take out a refinance or not. And here's the no brainer part. This is just, this, this is giddy making. You've literally no risk at calling American financing or going to AmericanFinancing.net and taking them up on their free mortgage review. It, it's the most risk-free thing in the world. And the result of this might be, because this is happening with a lot of their clients, you might save a thousand bucks a month. This is happening really commonly now. What would you do with a thousand bucks a month? Pay off bills, build the house into something you want, invest it. So across 10 years, that's 120 grand. Well, if that's invested properly, it's not 120 grand across 10 years. What is it? A quarter million dollars? That's a pretty decent part of a retirement portfolio. So it's absolutely risk-free. Here's all, all you need to do. So simple. Call American Financing at 866-887-2275. If you start now, by the way, you might be able to close your refinance within 10 days. They're open nights and weekends because they want to get things done quickly for their clients. American Financing, 866 866- 887-2275 or visit AmericanFinancing.net NMLS 182334 org. So that is the way God made me. It's the way God made you. We desire human contact because it is not good that we're alone. The first time in the Bible where the Lord said it is not good, it was when he spoke of Adam being alone. And so... God made Eve. Eve came from the same flesh as Adam. God made Eve. And then God invented the first marriage, which was a rejoinder, a rejoinder of that one flesh. Those two now unique people become one flesh under the marriage covenant. And then at that one moment, they get to do something that's absolutely remarkable. The left is talking all this week and, and, and the Republicans are ignoring the talk for the large part because they are cowards on the so-called social issues. And I think I mentioned this earlier this week, but it's fascinating to me. If you take a camera view of the human sperm and the human egg meeting, when they come together successfully, do you know what happens? Bursts of light like lightning. Let there be light. It's the one moment in our lifetime that we get to, well, we get to involve ourselves in God's work. If we listen and we hear his voice and we accept the call, that that's one moment, one moment where we get to do something only God can do. And in fact, only God's doing it, but we get to participate as married couples. But we all need human contact. Very rare is the person who can be perfectly happy with no human contact. Very rare are people who can be happy with really limited human contact. And God does call some people to single them. He called his son to single them. And the Lord Jesus surrounded himself with friends. We can, of course, they were disciples and of course it was the apostles. And, but he also surrounded himself with Mary and successfully had a friendship with Mary. And they did view the Lord Jesus as friend and rabbi, and then eventually as he's the Messiah, who he is. 
So I could have said to my mom in that circumstance, mom, I am an adulterer. This is who I am. This is who God made me. And she could say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, now my mom is, is, is views faith in a much more liberal way than I do. And that, that, that worries me. But even she would say, no, 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 you are not an adulterer. That's something that you're tempted to do or that you did. And even people who've done it, that's not who you are. This is the great trick of the left with same-sex attraction. And you could take it to any sexual activity. And I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the point, but you could take any sexual activity and say, that's what I am. Accept it. Celebrate it. And the church has played along to some degree by de-emphasizing some carnal sins in favor of others. And now the church has stopped talking about them altogether. So this is all a way to build up to, we talked about on the show before, how would you approach this with someone who's same-sex attracted if they came to and said, do you think my lifestyle is a sin? Friend of mine, really, really wiser young man, said to me that his response would be, um, it's not my thoughts that define that. I believe the Bible is true and the, the Bible defines it that way. I don't consider it my job to judge you. I have plenty of judging of myself to do. And yes, I do think there's a better way to live. It's a remarkably compassionate answer. So the con job now is just setting up identity-based churches. This is a woman who has achieved the title of doctor, probably theology, Robin Henderson Espinosa. Now, listen to this entire statement and understand what I view that she's doing here. And let me set the scene. It's not about body shaming. I promise it's not. I don't do that. I just want to set the scene. Um, she's a larger woman. She's tattooed. Uh, she's in her office and it looks like she's, well, she's got a bunch of books in the background. I'm, I'm, I'm certain she's very well read. And I don't know whether she believes everything she says here. I, I tend to believe that she's caused herself to believe this because there's another need that we have. Right? The need to be in human contact is part of a greater whole of us. It's not just the human contact that we crave. We crave the face of God. And when we're around fellow believers, we get to see and experience to some degree the face of God. The more mature the believer, the more they have taken the knee to the Lord, then the more the face of God we see and experience and the compassion of God. That's about the, that's, that's the body of Christ. Being around a lot of godly people, you are around little bits of God in the godly people. And the more people you're around who have little bits of God active in them, my goodness, the more you're around God Almighty. That's that's part of why we are programmed to need human contact. Even people called the singledom. And, and we're often not perfect friends. I think of the Lord Jesus saying to the apostles, you guys are sleeping? Wait, I just told you I'm going to a cross. I'm going to be nailed. You're asleep. Dudes, wake up. I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly how the Lord Jesus said it. So here is Dr. Uh, so-called Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa. She's speaking close up to the camera. It's super well done. And count the buzzwords 
but then also understand the technique. This is a brilliant technique. The not yet is the imaginal space of becoming. The not yet is, is in the space of a realized utopia. The not yet is the Christian message that we must embody in critical and creative ways to steward a narrative that calls us into being human with one another again. That is the kind of hope I want to invite us to embody. That is the kind of queerness that I hope we can practice. One that reimagines language and practice and narratives that can be midwifed and stewarded through the imaginal. That is hope to me. That is the kind of power I think we have as a collective of believers, of doubters, of Christians, as those who are becoming. It's utterly brilliant. The brilliance is the white space. She's created incredible white space. And I'll explain that in a second, but it's a beautiful and evil rhetorical trick. Yeah, things can be... I shouldn't say beautiful, I guess, and evil in the same sense. Let's say devious and attractive. That's better. Mentioned uh, earlier, soda weight loss. Uh, I I love a morning like this where my wife weighs in on these mornings, and I can tell by the way she comes out of the way in that it was a successful week of of dropping unwanted fat from her body. And we have to be so careful as married couples because you know there's that trap. Oh, wow, honey, you look great. I, I can see you've dropped a lot of weight. Oh, I didn't look great before. And and we know the trap, but. There's also a knowledge that we have, and you may know a loved one. And you know they're happier when they jettison the unwanted fat. You know it, you see it, you experience it around decades. Can I make a suggestion? Nutty suggestion. If you guys are a couple and you both need to lose, well, and let me say it a different way. You both want to unload the unwanted fat on your body, undertake this as a couple. See, soda weight loss, they have become so successful, largely through word of mouth. And they knew this because of the data. One location in Dallas, Texas, and then, oh, wow, this is going really well. The scientific approach works. The state-of-the-art approach works. Making sure people can do this at home works. Focusing on the predictable dropping of unwanted fat in predictable amounts, two and a half to three and a half pounds for women per week, maybe four and a half and six per men. Why? Because that's how it stays off. That's what they studied. Boom. They blossomed into seven locations. And then they started to observe people coming from Arkansas to Texas, from Oklahoma to Texas, from Florida to Texas to work with soda weight loss. So if you're a couple Undertake it together. You're going to learn to cook new foods together that are going to help you maintain this new body weight that eases you into the older years. Other to able to have more activities together, able to sleep better. If one of you snores, losing weight, dropping unwanted fat will often cure the snoring problem. Did you know that? 
You'll also be able to taste foods more accurately and with more with more joy because of getting out of the fat cells out of your beak. I've lost 150 pounds, guys. I remember not being able to smell anything. Imagine giving this gift to each other, two happier people in marriage. Pretty astonishing opportunity. It's sodaweightloss.com, S-O-T-A, weightloss.com. Imagine how they may, in fact, help your relationship, sodaweightloss.com. What she does in that statement, um, she's employing this great, well-done rhetorical trick. And the trick is, is creating all this white space for people to fill in. And listen again, I'll just start this, but this is what I mean by the mental white space. The not yet is the imaginal space of becoming. The not yet is, is in the space of a realized utopia. The not yet is the Christian message that we must embody in critical and creative ways to steward a narrative that calls us into being human with one another. We don't need to have any creative recasting of the Christian narrative. The more creative a pastor is with the Christian narrative, the less tied to the word of God that pastor is. And that's the point. The not yet. It's this beautiful, it's this beautiful aspirational phrase. The not yet. Yes, yes, one day, one day. But it is completely divorced from any form of, of, of actual adherence to the word of God. But it is done with this loving tone. And I've no doubt in my mind whatsoever that this so-called doctor loves gay people. Or pardon me, see, I did it. Same-sex attracted people. I've, I've no doubt. I do too. I'm not willing to lie, but that's just a video. Here's where it gets so utterly messy. The rewriting of theology and doing it this way. And you start with a statement like that. And look, rhetorical white space is potent stuff, guys. It is so potent and, and so attractive. It's, it's the technique that John Lennon used in his songs. It was people could paint anything on them. In fact, no, no, I won't use a Lennon song I, because this is a real life experience I had. I was listening to the song, The Waiting by Tom Petty for years. And man, I would drive around and it meant so much and it was so you know, beautiful and so big. And I mean, you remember this song, right? it up in my car and my heart would beat fast and it's filled with utter concrete meaning and importance in this mini music review by the way 12 string recce hit it tommy I 
said, you know what? And I don't remember what it was. I got access to the lyrics. It was before the, um, it was before the internet. No, I think I, I'd always had the song on CD, but I think I got it from a friend and I don't think I had the lyrics. And then I looked at the mirror, the lyrics and it was going to be so meaningful. Oh baby, don't it feel like heaven right now? Don't it feel like something from a dream? Yeah, I've never known nothing quite like this. Don't it feel like tonight might never be again? Baby, we know better than to try to pretend. Honey, no one ever has ever told me about this. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. The waiting is the hardest part. Every day you take one more card. You take it on faith. You take it to the heart. The waiting is the hardest part. Yeah, I might've chased a couple women around. All it ever got me was down. Wow. It's a beautiful song and it means that he's dated some women, but this one's special. <laughs> I still love the song, but there's nothing there. But this is just a song. It's not eternal salvation. But that's just a song. Let's get to the theology twisting. Listen to this. What does the Bible, this is from their website. It's uh, LGBTQ plus theology 101 right there. That's not faith. That's, there's no such thing. God did not say, okay, here's the Bible for people who are same sex attracted. Here's the Bible for people who are adulterers. Here's the Bible for people who have been conned into believing they're in the wrong body. Here's the Bible for Republicans and Democrats. And, and here's the Bible for rich people. And here's the Bible for poor people. He didn't do that. There's no such thing as LGBTQ plus Christian theology. There's You can have LGBTQ plus theology, but it's not Christian. Here's what they write. Conversations around what the Bible says about LGBTQ plus people can be contentious. Due to the dense nature of this content, you may want to consider studying the additional resources listed under how can I learn more about the clobber verses about L and LGBTQ plus theology. Consider this an introductory overview to these passages as shared by um, Q QFC board member, Reverend Danny Cortez. All right, so what are the clobber verses? They contend these are verses from the Bible that people misuse to clobber same-sex attracted people. No, there's no clobber verses. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Regard and pay attention to the log in our own eye before we talk about the speck in that of our neighbor. There are no clobber verses. There is nothing in the New Testament that says clobber rhetorically or other any other human being. It does not exist. There's no clobber verses. That's lie number one. But again, rhetorical white space. Most people aren't going to read the, the extra stuff, right? But here's the extra stuff. Listen to this. Genesis 1. They start at the very beginning. Genesis 1 is a clobber verse. Genesis 1, along with other passages that reference this chapter, is often used to argue against non-binary and transgender identities. It's often stated that since God created man and woman, there can be no other gender categories than male and female. However, as Kathy Brodick wisely stated, God created man, woman, and intersex. We see through science and creation that there is a biological gender variation in creation. People's bi uh, biology isn't as binary as we're led to believe, and scripture speaks out on eunuchs, people who lived as neither male nor female. We can also see in the creation story is that while God created day and night, that doesn't mean there's, not not, there's nothing in between. Dawn and dusk are expressions of creation that don't fall neatly into categories of day and night. So when Genesis tells us that God created man and woman, it doesn't mean that we're limited to that the two. 
In this world, there are non-binary, gender-fluid, transgender, and multifaceted expressions of the non-gendered image of God within creation. Rhetorical white space. Hello, Tom Petty. Hello, cat in the hat. And, and we shouldn't have to unwind this, but this is what people walk into church. When they walk into an identity-based church, they're getting exactly what they crave. Oh, what I do is not wrong. Oh, what I do is not wrong. This is great. God sponsors what I do. You can extend this to any sin. We can play the same game with thieving. I, I can pull out... And you can too, stories of the Bible of prostitutes who are rewarded. Oh, God rewards prostitution. No, he regards, he rewards people who redeem themselves from that. Speaking on this topic, it is now um, just about two weeks prior to our appearance in Bothell, Washington, just outside of Seattle, for an event called Will God Rescue America? And I was going through my notes this morning and reading so much scripture on this topic. But I'm also remembering how much I dearly loved the Seattle area. I've got some stories to share with you during my speech that I don't know that I've ever shared. And I'm really, really considering saying something up there that I've never shared about my personal life. But that's going to be a prayerful decision. I'm going to talk about some days in radio. Um, and how that led me to believe that, in fact, Seattle is fallen. The city of Seattle is fallen. And I'm going to talk about whether I think Washington State can be saved with people. God can save anything, but will he rescue America? We're going to explore these ideas 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. It's at Cedar Park Christian Church in Bothell, Washington. Tickets are only $20. We've been on a run rate to approach a sellout of this event. I hope you can attend. We're going to spend 6.30 to 8.30 with the event. My friend Julie's going to talk from her perspective about will God rescue America? Then I'm going to take the stage. Zach Abraham's going to be there. From 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., though, you guys, we're just going to hang out. We're going to visit. I haven't had the opportunity to meet most of you, so I'm giving myself the gift of being able to hang out with you guys. Get the tickets at the ToddHermanShow.com slash events. It's the ToddHermanShow.com slash events. I shouldn't have to do this, but the takedown of Genesis 1 here. As Kathy Baldick wisely stated, God created man, woman, and intersex. We see through science and creation, there is a biological gender variation in creation. No, we don't. No, we don't. What we see is that God has created the ability for mistakes to occur. Mistakes of poverty. So you're saying here that God created poor people, therefore God wants people to be poor. God has allowed suffering, therefore God wants people to suffer. And that's, that's not the case. God relies on us to help reduce suffering, not as these people are doing, increasing it. We're called to serve the least of these very, very clearly and time and again. We're called to do that. We're called to be the people who help decrease suffering. And when there is suffering, to pray into it and to understand a greater purpose to it. The existence of people who have chromosomes that cause them to have both sex organs does not create 
space to say, well, therefore, gender is on a spectrum. No, it's not. There are men and women, and in rare cases, the chromosomes are combined and people have organs of the same, of, of both sexes. That does not create a scale. Secondly, yes, God created night and day, nor does the Bible not mention dusk or dawn, nor do they ignore that. But night and day are not gender. They're not biology. They're not human biology. You see that this rhetorical white space trick they play? It's obscene. And the reason they do it is because they cannot go straight to the Bible itself. And the danger is these are the churches your kids will be called to. Not by God. By their need to be okay. By their need to be able to tell their friends, oh yeah, yeah, I attend church, but it's, it's no, 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 no. We, we, we understand that that. That, that being same-sex attracted is good. God likes that. God likes people, loves people, but no, no, that's not what the Bible says about it. Genesis 2. Genesis 2 tells the marriage story of Adam and Eve. However, the word marriage isn't used. Instead, one flesh is used to describe the covenant relationship. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. The one flesh reference to marriage is repeated twice in the New Testament, first by Jesus when he condemned the practice of men divorcing their wives, and also in Ephesians when Paul talks about marriage. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In Ephesians, Paul expands the definition of marriage. Listen to this lie. In Ephesians, Paul expands the definition of marriage. He uses the language of marriage, the coming together of one flesh, to describe Christ's marriage to the church. Here, Paul no longer limits marriage as something that happens between one man and one woman, but between Christ and the church. We find that marriage is not based on gender, but on covenant. Gender difference, therefore, is not required a requirement of marriage. I'm sorry. The Bible time and again explains homosexuality as a sin, not not being gay, not pardon me, not being same sex attracted, but engaging in it. It's right there. Nothing in the New Testament cancels that. And this is why it's so hard. Because we love people who are same sex attracted. We would give our kidneys for them. We weep for them. We love everything about them. But we cannot sponsor the Sin Act. It's horribly difficult. But this clown show here of this is their theology, what Paul described was men must love their wives like Christ loves the church. Certainly, this doctor knows the difference between metaphor and statement. Or not. Because it's quite possible this so-called doctor has conned herself. We live in an era of fascism. We know this. What's the proof? How about this? This is from the state of Maine sponsors this video. Okay. That's a fake Christian church. 
That's fake doctrine. That's, well, let me wait to say that. Now I'll say it. In the spiritual realm, who would be really excited to have people spend their lives in a church that has no connection to God Almighty? I think we know the answer. This is from Maine. People in this country who are LGBT plus, we're not free. Now, you might have never heard that term before, LGBT. Well, let me tell you what it means. The L stands for the word lesbian. Lesbians are women who love other women. G stands for gay, and gay men are men who love other men. B stands for bisexual, and bisexual people are people who love both men and women. And the T stands for transgender. A transgender person is someone who the doctors made a mistake about when they were born. When a baby is born, the doctors will tell the parents what gender they think that baby is. They'll say, we think your child is a female or we think your child is a male. But some people, when they get a little bit older, realize what the doctors said was not right. Obviously, that's to little kids. It is official state policy in Maine to lie to little kids. It is official state policy in Maine to pretend to love, for a man to love another man is to be gay. For a woman to love another woman is to be gay. Homosexual, no. No, and and this is the big trap. It's not love. They're defending. It's activity. It's activity as identity. God made us seek human contact. God modeled that sometime, sometimes for some people, that human contact would be limited. But not diminished. The church, the actual Christian church, must do a better job of honoring singledom, of nurturing single people, of displaying and showing lives of great, great richness, great togetherness, great friendships that don't involve sexuality. That is not the path that most people want for their lives. Sometimes it's the path that God needs us to walk, even for periods of time. The scary nature of what the left is doing, and the reason I wanted to do this show, is because the greatest and most dangerous con spiritually that exists for our kids is they get to check a box, devote their lives to a Christian church, which simply cannot provide a connection to God or salvation. Please be on the watch for these churches in your neighborhoods, states, and...
and for the ideology in your mainstream churches because it's there. This is the Todd Herman Show. We so appreciate your support. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and be loving of the person and pray that they overcome the sin. And you can start, if you would, by praying that I overcome mine.